Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, this is Chris with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Paul Roberts with securityledger.com. Welcome, Paul. How are you doing today? Great, Chris. Great to be on Future Tech Podcast. Yeah, thanks for thanks for being here. Paul, give us a little bit about your background and what led you to um, get involved with Security Ledger. Um, my background is as a uh, information security journalist uh, and analyst, and I started covering InfoSec back in 2002. It's actually my first kind of full-time gig as a reporter was writing for IDG News Service, which is a technology newswire. And frankly, cyber was the beat that was open. And so that's what I took. And I've I've just stuck with it ever since then. Um, you know, my background, spent most of my career in the technology industry in one way or another. Uh, and um, so I've had the pleasure of covering information security and cybersecurity for the last decade and a half. And, you know, just seen tremendous change and evolution in the industry since then. Um, I started Security Ledger back in 2012 as a independent information security news website. And my thinking back then, I had previously been an editor at the blog ThreatPost. Uh, and my thinking was that I saw a big change going on, kind of a pivot from traditional um, information security uh, that was focused really on, you know, uh, legacy enterprise endpoints um, like, 
you know, desktops, laptops, servers, and so on to uh, the Internet of Things. Uh, so I was like starting to write a lot more about things like industrial control systems and um, SCADA systems, you know, kind of physical devices that were Internet connected. And uh, I just wanted to be able to pursue that in a little bit more depth and wanted to take advantage of this amazing new um, publishing world and market that we live in where you can kind of hang a shingle and have a small independent publication that is uh, sustaining and um, give it a, give it a shot. And that was uh, almost six years ago. So. Okay. Yeah, very good. Um, looking over your, your site kind of in the beginning, there, there are so many things to talk about. Like, uh, of, of course, Facebook is, is definitely in the news right now. Um, what, are, what are some things that you're, you're seeing right now that we really need to be aware of? Um, there is a tremendous amount on my blog, um, and I, I do try and cover the breadth of the information security space, although I'm a small publication, and lately I've been thinking that I should probably stop trying to cover the breadth of the information <laughs> security space because it's an impossible Sisyphean task that I can't do. Um, so I try and, try and pick my battles, I guess. Um, but uh, if I were to pick some battles these days and really look at a few areas that I think are um, differentiated and worth paying attention to, um, you know, as I mentioned, you know, security and IoT has been a very consistent editorial focus of Security Ledger since 2012. And I think that it continued that that area, that conversation, which has been pretty much hypothetical for most of the time that I've been writing is now becoming actual. So, I mean, we obviously saw that with the Mirai botnet, you know, a year and a half ago or whatever it was. Um, but it is really picking up steam now, not only with thing botnets and, you know, cameras and so on being involved in, um, you know, denial of service attacks, but really just with, you know, uh, attacks on um, critical infrastructure. We've seen attacks on electrical grid in Ukraine and, um, you know, petroleum plants in Saudi Arabia and so on, um, cyber physical consequences. We had a story about a pipeline um, hacks a week or so ago. So these are started, these are going from being hypothetical to being actual. And I think there are huge consequences, not just for, you know, our society, but also for companies that increasingly, you know, enterprises increasingly have a lot of connected devices, you know, bouncing around in their environment that they're not fully aware of and certainly are not actively managing and accounting for. So that that challenge of trying to figure out what is in your environment, what's connected to the internet, what is a possible, you know, vector of attack, um, and, you know, all the things that don't look like laptops, desktops, or servers that you need to be worried about. So that's one. Um, I think, you know, um, obviously the continued migration of technology and compute power to the cloud and um, some of the growing pains that are happening with that. So I, I've spoken many times and, and interviewed Chris Fickery over at the firm UpGuard, who's made something of a you know business for himself, just finding unsecured you know hordes of data out on Amazon's S3 storage cloud and and similar platforms. So companies are really moving very r rapidly to the cloud, but they do not have great systems for doing so securely, or um, at least haven't developed the discipline and the understanding of uh, the risks that, that cloud brings with it to, to do it well. Um, so that's one. 
Um, and I think just new, you know, blockchain technology. I was I was going through my emails for RSA conference, which is next week. There are a lot of companies that are talking about blockchain, if not, you know, building solutions on top of blockchain and distributed ledger technologies. Um, it's a really interesting um, development. I think everybody who counted off blockchain and cryptocurrencies as a passing fad has been proven wrong. Um, that said, it's very early days, so it remains to be seen what problems exactly. I think that's definitely a trend, but it's, it remains to be seen exactly, you know, what security problems blockchain and distributed ledger really help us solve. Yes, indeed. Uh, you know, RSA is uh, the biggest, I would say, security industry show going. Um, it is a, um, you know, started off as kind of a obscure cryptographers gathering in San Francisco, uh, you know, whatever it was 25 years ago. Um, and now it is uh, just a, a massive cybersecurity show, uh, really reflecting the breadth of the of the industry. So everybody kind of converges on San Francisco and it's usually in March or April. And um, I think it's a lot of business development. There's a lot of deals that get done and a lot of meetings that take place. Uh, not as much on the research front. It's not like a black hat or a or a researcher show where you might get some really interesting um, new vulnerabilities or exploits that are you know dropped. Uh, it's kind of more of the business of cybersecurity. And the business of cybersecurity these days is a very big business. So I'm curious. All all of your your points have one fundamental thing in mind, and and that's uh, I mean it's definitely security. What I wonder about is what what causes this tennis match to go so extremely back and forth between, you know, re releasing a new technology, um, and as you mentioned with with IoT, um, having actual um, problems now that need to be solved. What is it on each side that that kind of keeps the game going back and forth? Um. Well, what's what's you really unique about cybersecurity or information security? Because there are a lot of people who just hate the word cyber. Um, you know, criminals criminals keep things very interesting in this market in a way that they don't in other markets that don't involve stopping criminals. Uh, so, criminals, cyber criminals, are incredibly innovative and they are incredibly early adopters of technology. Um, in some ways, it's kind of, you know, the perfect market. You know, they're looking for any edge, you know, any way to make profit faster or easier. And they're incredibly not very little kind of uh, nostalgia. They have very little nostalgia, very little kind of loyalty to anything. And so they are happy to drop a technology or an approach uh, in favor of something new if it provides them an advantage. And so that's just a continual irritant um, that... You know, new defenses come along and, and the bad guys more or less pivot and, and readjust what they do to account for those new protections. And, and by doing so, they create the need for, you know, yet more protections or, or new approaches or novel ways of, of keeping, you know, data secure. Um, and so that continues to propel the market. And, you know, as in the physical world, you know, uh, preventing crime or, um, or you know, prosecuting uh, uh, people who commit crimes is one thing, um, but it's very difficult to stop 
criminal behavior from happening. And um, there is tremendous money in the underground, uh, cyber underground. There's a tremendous amount of money to be made in um, conducting illegal activities online. And um, and then, uh, as we've seen, obviously, there are state actors who have other interests that are non-monetary. So, um, you know, uh, that continues to be the fuel that keeps this, the information security market going forward. Um, and I've seen just in the 15 years I've been covering it, just, uh, you know, incredible changes um, in technology and approaches uh, to doing it. What do you? What's the most outstanding to you in in terms of those technological changes? Well, I mean, I mean, just I think just really, I mean, the thing that's that's most that really strikes me now is just the degree to which the whole computing paradigm has changed, and in some ways, I think the security industry is behind the times. I think there are most companies that are selling security products out there are probably selling technology that was really designed and developed to secure legacy IT environments, you know, kind of uh, network data centers and desktops and laptops that are sitting in cubicles on people's desks um, and, you know, to to secure that environment. But that, you know, the modern corporate environment, you know, if you're to look, for example, at, at the network or the the way a, a startup, you know, um, would would constitute its corporate environment, what that would look like versus a company like, you know, uh, you know, Gillette or something like that, you know, that's sure. been around for 150 years, you know, that's, that's had computers on its network for, you know, 50 years. Um, it, it's, it's a totally different thing. You know, there's very little, if any, hard assets, except maybe laptops and mobile phones uh, and everything else is cloud-based. Um, and so that I think that change has been the most profound just in the 15 years I've been covering the industry. And I do think that there is the information security industry is playing catch up to that. Um, obviously, there's still tons of money to be made just securing legacy environments. But um, the migration to the cloud and the increasing reliance of companies on cloud-based systems and cloud-based assets is going to pose a number of problems to security companies. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to know um, more about the the cloud aspect of things because you know we're first we're bringing up blockchain technology um, and decentralizing things, and yet the the cloud is almost a re-centralization of of that info to some degree. Um, walk us through a bit more about. Um, what's going on in in cloud technology and and what things we should be looking for in the future? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I I think the challenge that um, the challenge that companies have in mi migrating to or using or relying on cloud assets. I mean, there are a number of there are a number of challenges, right? There are challenges of um, uh, you know, managing multiple different cloud environments, you know, managing mixtures of perhaps private and public cloud assets, you know, an Amazon Web Services versus some kind of a, a private offering. Um, you know, there are issues, as I mentioned, I was talking about UpGuard and, and Chris Vickery. Obviously, there are huge issues with securing data in cloud environments, whether that's an Amazon Web Services or whether it's some um, private or public, you know, GitHub uh, repository where you've got your source code um, stored. You know, the, 
the big issue is that cloud provides tremendous flexibility and agility. Um, you know, things that used to take days or weeks, you know, standing up a new server, you know, you can now stand up, you know, a thousand servers in a matter of minutes, you know, just with, you know, a click of a mouse. That's great, but it also makes it very easy to make, you know, big mistakes at scale, um, whether that's exposing sensitive data or pushing out a production server that is not configured correctly and vulnerable to attack or managing, you know, updates. Um, you know, in general, I think it's a huge advantage for companies. Centralization um, makes it possible to support many, many more users much more efficiently, you know, with many, many fewer IT staff. Um, but again, it does also make it possible to make big mistakes at scale. Um, and I think that's one of the things that companies are wrestling with, um, kind of making sure that they've crossed their T's and dotted their I's, make sure that they've got, um, you know, properly configured and and managed um, assets uh, in production, keeping track of what they've deployed, you know, um, because, again, uh, cyber criminals are very um, adept at looking for these. They, they've now become aware that, you know, these exposures are out there. And, of course, on the, you know, security side, the defensive side, you have to be perfect. And on the offensive side, all they need is is one mistake uh, to get access to sensitive data or to you know breach the protections and, and get access to you know sensitive IT assets within your within your network. So it's um, it's very much of a lopsided battle. Yeah, I I wonder sometimes if if the headlines are you know maybe driving the the potential catch up that that you mentioned that the uh, security side has to do. I mean, for example, um, the Under Armour. Um, and my fitness that, that info recently. I mean, that's that's something that I used to use, but I, I didn't really think about it. And um, then that headline comes out there, and all of a sudden it's it's, it's panic, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and that's not the only headline, but I wonder if you could talk more um, to the nature of that. To the to the Under Armour breach in particular, or just the, the that type of that type of security incident that's that's becoming. Um, so, I mean, so that was that they had a, they yeah, had a sort of fitness, fitness tracking website, right, where you could go and you could use a number, you know, if you used a Fitbit or you used Jawbone or one of these other fitness trackers, you know, you could you could connect that to this website and it would kind of keep track of all your workouts and you could set goals and so on. It's, you know, a lot of a lot of different sites like that. But that was a, that was a good one. Um you know, unfortunately, um, <laughs> it it was an environment that was um, uh, you know not not properly secured and uh, you know be- became uh, became compromised. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think th- there are so many different there are so many different ways to look at this. I mean, we could talk about the Panera Bread um, uh, incident as well. Um, I think at a high level, many companies are. I mean, I think the other big thing that we're that we're dealing with is for for much of the last ten or fifteen years, definitely certainly in the last ten years, uh, there's been a gospel that you know as a company you want to engage more with your customers, you want to collect and aggregate as much data about them as you can, um, so that you can slice and dice it and provide you know personalized services and mon- find all kinds of nifty ways to monetize it. Um, but I think increasingly, and certainly when you know, once you know May 25th comes and the EU General Data Protection uh, Rule takes effect, 
uh, you know, companies have have spent less time thinking about the liability that all this data they've been collecting on customers poses and the risk that it poses to their organization. So companies like Under Armour or um, Panera Bread or the, you know, um, uh, similar to Under Armour Strava, um, you know, which which got into trouble for for um, kind of not a data leak per se, but how some of the how how just the sheer quantity of data that it, uh, workout data that it collected on users could be used to really re-identify people, um, even though the company tried its best to de-identify them. Um, you know, all these things um, are really challenge a conventional wisdom that, you know, the more data you have on your customers, the more data you collect and retain on them, the, the wealthier you are as a corporation. Um, and so, you know, when you get companies that are in the business of collecting data, um, it really becomes very incumbent on them to not just do a pretty good job um, of security, but to do an exemplary job, to not just you know, do the basic blocking and tackling of securing, let's say, a, a public-facing web application, um, but to really set a very, very high bar. Um, and I don't know that that thinking has permeated organizations. You know, I mean, you'll you'll hear companies um, say, uh, I can't remember who it was, whether it was Equifax or whomever, but you know, say things like, oh, you know. We took seriously, you know, we took, we always took cybersecurity seriously, but after the breach, now we take it really seriously, you know, and it's like, yeah, yeah that, I hope that really do. makes you wonder that, yeah, that really <laughs> makes you wonder, like, what, what percentage were you thinking beforehand? What, before. what is it now? <laughs> yeah, right. It's kind of like before we were a B student in security, and now that we've been hacked and data on 100 million people or whatever got out, now we're now we promise we're going to be a you know a a plus students. Um, so I think that there, I think that again you had two things. I think you had the, kind of the gospel of more data makes you wealthier, and then I think on the obviously on the enforcement regulatory side, you had a very light touch, at least in North America, um, on enforcing on, on holding companies to account when they were just sloppy um, and let data um, get exposed uh, didn't didn't treat the privacy of their customers or their employees data with appropriate seriousness and and invest in it you know cybersecurity is still a very small part of overall IT investment um, and and really just got a slap on the wrist you know I mean I, I wrote a story looking at um, Hilton uh, Hotels, which was, you know, fined by the Attorney General of New York, uh, I think $700,000 for not one, but two breaches, and two breaches that they knew about and then took months to inform people of, you know, six or eight months transpired between when the company was aware of the breach and when they finally came out and let people know that they had been um, victimized. You know, these were people who, had, who were customers of Hilton's. Um, you know, seven hundred thousand dollars to a company like Hilton is is nothing. I mean, it's a that's a bar bill for the company, um, not something that's going to in you know change corporate culture vis-a-vis cybersecurity. So, you know, companies I think got in the habit of treating these things as more or less public relations problems. You know, they put their PR firm on it and set up a website and say they're sorry and promise to do better the next time. But, uh, you know, in terms of the bottom line of the organization, they were irrelevant. Um, and I, I think that 
that is going to need to change. I think probably with GDPR, it will change um, to where, you know, cyber really becomes material to the company. The company starts to look at securing data and securing IT systems, not just as a, you know, good to do if you've got the time, but something that poses an existential risk to the company if they don't do it properly. Um, you know, as you saw with uh, the NotPetya outbreak and companies like Maersk and um, and Federal Express and Mondelez Candy, uh, where you were talking about damages of, uh, you know, non, non-regulatory fines, you know, just damages to company operations measured in hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars. Um, you know, if companies start looking at these problems that way, then they will start making appropriate investments of time and, and resources. That, and that makes me wonder. That makes me wonder what the um, what the spark is to to change the legacy thinking. I think it's a it's a combination of um, kind of facts on the ground. So so thing increasingly destructive attacks versus disruptive attacks like not Petya and WannaCry. Uh, ransomware and those types of things, those definitely change the calculus for companies. So when when it was, you know, the I love you virus or, or, or SQL slammer, and it was just kind of noisy and inconvenient and you lost a day or two of productivity, but then you were back. Um, that's one thing. But when, you know, you are, um, you know, Merck Pharmaceuticals and you literally can't make Gardasil, one of your leading products because your, you know, assembly line has is, is been frozen by a malware outbreak uh, or rendered useless, um, that that poses an existential risk to the company. Um, and or when you're Maersk, you know, and you're you've got people with clipboards and pen and paper who are trying to track, you know, millions of shipments of goods, you know, in and out of ports around the world because your IT system has been rendered useless by some encrypting malware. Um, that that changes the calculus. And then I think the other half of it is the regulatory piece of it, um, really adding some zeros to the um, fines and penalties that you'll pay for not doing the right thing as a company um, and and, may, and setting very clear expectations for what what is meant by the right thing. So, I mean, one of the problems in the United States is we don't don't have a very strong federal data privacy regime, and so it really falls to individual states and and states attorney general to to you know carry the flag, um, and that's a very confusing and situation, very hard for companies to to you know figure out what it is they're supposed to be doing. Um, and GDPR might change that. That'll be that'll be interesting to to see. Um, so. Getting kind of back into IoT type of areas, um, I'd like to to take a little bit deeper dive. What are some things that um, you are currently seeing happening with uh, security and IoT, and what kind of uh, future outlook do you have, maybe in the next year or so? I think that's a really good question. Um, I think you're starting to see. Um, I don't want to put this. I think you're starting to see companies that are addressing um, the most pressing problems in the Internet of Secure Internet of Things security space, um, and that would be, um, you know, uh, problems around uh, authenticating IoT devices and managing um, the security of IoT devices. 
uh, at scale, you know, for example, you know, firmware updates and things like that. Um, you're starting to see both um, governments and industry organizations come out with guidelines and, and frameworks to help, um, let's say, device makers or companies that might be in the business of making connected devices, either, you know, they're, they're new to this field or they're, they're, they make existing products like, you know, washing machines and, and refrigerators, but they, they want to connect them. Um, release frameworks uh, and guidelines that help those companies understand and navigate this new world of connected devices and understand what their responsibilities and uh, are and, and where they should be investing their time and energy. So like the um, Industrial um, Internet Consortium uh, just released a maturity model um, for um, Internet of Things. Um, so it talks about, you know, what are the different levels of security maturity for a company um, based on what its, you know, security goals and objectives and its its willingness to take on risk are. Um, you know, that type of stuff is really important. I mean, it's boring as, you know, as from the reporter standpoint, you know, I mean, it's, it is not sexy stuff, but it's really important. You know, NIST as well has published some some guidelines for companies. So you're starting to see after a lot of hemming and hawing and, you know, what we need is blank, you know, what we need is A and what we need is B. You know, the past few years, it seems like there's been a lot of that, a lot of hand rigging. And now I think you're starting to see the you know, adults at the party, the responsible organization step up um, and provide some definition around that. Uh, Underwriters Lab, I know, um, has uh, stood up a, a certification program for connected devices and, um, just actually uh, recently, I, I talked about this in my blog, but um, gave its highest level of cybersecurity um, rating to a to a product, a, a digital um, a, a network video recorder um, by Johnson Controls. Uh, it's kind of a corporate, you know, industrial um, video recorder for security cameras. Um, so just having having a, a a testing bed, like a test bed, like a UL test bed for connected products where they can be like, oh, this is a, you know, this gets our highest security rating versus this is a piece of trash and I wouldn't trust it. Um, <laughs> that's really important, but that hasn't been there. So that that's kind of where we are. Um, but there are, I mean, there are huge issues out there, you know, not least of which is that, you know, most companies that are, or most organizations that are buying connected products um, may not know that they're buying them, or certainly if they buy them, you know, security is not a, a big part of the conversation, both uh, before and at the point of purchase. So, you know, educating the public is a big issue. Um, price still drives a lot of the decisions that are made. Um, and, um, you know, many of these products have very long um, supply chains that are you know, of unknown provenance, right? Where we just don't sure. have a good sense of, of what software and hardware is in these devices and, and how reliable and high quality it is. So that that's a huge issue as well with, with no easy fix. Yeah, definitely. And when, when you are, you know, you're talking about the, you know, the headline being sexy or not, in, in that case, it's, you know, you're, you're buying the device. And you think, oh, this is going to profit my business. This is going to help my business make so much more money or operate more efficiently um, that it, it's easy to 
to uh, skip through the user agreement and you know read all the fine print in the sense of you know security and just kind of expect it to operate and then when you encounter the problems then oh wow there's the headline yeah of course yeah or even you know you sort of you know your boss tells you to go out and buy some um you know, security cameras for the office or the parking lot or whatever. And, you know, you get on Amazon and do a few searches and figure out what your price point is or what features you're looking for. And, you know, that's that's what goes into the purchase decision. Or you call up your vendor, you know, your reseller, and, you know, they've got a, a you know vendor that they work with. But, um, you know, it's very hard to know, um, for example, <laughs> you know, what what is the firmware that's running in that camera or that video recorder or, or whatever it is, you know, that, that, um, you know, uh, smart alarm and, uh, you know, is, is that firmware of quality? Is it have a hard coded backdoor that, you know, anybody who has knowledge of it could access? Uh, is that firmware going to be updated over time, you know, two or three years now when, when some open source component that's also, you know, part of that device has some huge heartbleed like vulnerability, or are you going to be able to get a patch of that? And if so how are you going to get that patch? And are you going to know enough to apply that patch? Um, those are all, you know, those are all issues that tend to get swept under the rug at the time of purchase, but over time um, they become very, very important. Um, and, you know, I think companies are really now just starting to get their arms around this. I mean, obviously, Mirai did a lot to raise awareness about that threat, but it's it's a lot bigger, obviously, than just cameras. Yeah, definitely. Paul, it's been great chatting with you today. I wonder if you kind of have a, 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 a broad overview of, of um, security and kind of what things we'll see and what people should be looking out for here in the near-term future? Um, sure. <laughs> Good question. And I think that the, the pace of change is, is really accelerating. And I mean, again, I've been writing about cybersecurity for 15 years, but, you know, we're really undergoing tremendous changes very rapidly in the way that people use technology and the way that companies use and apply technologies. I mean, we haven't really even spoken about things like, you know, machine learning and and you know artificial intelligence and, and the impact that those those developments are going to have on everything, including the cybersecurity space. Um, but I think you know if you really look um, again, I, I like to look at you know like startups and very young organizations, not just information security organizations, but any type of company. You know if you look at the way they structure their business and, and structure their um, IT environments, how different it is from how, like, you know, if you work in an older company, you know, the, the type of environment that you guys use, um, and just how nimble organizations are, how um, nimble the technologies become, and how powerful the technologies become, you know, with the assistance of machine learning and so on. Um, I think those are going to be the big trends that just drive that drive the whole economy, and, and they're going to drive information security as well. Um, and you know, the other thing I would say, and the other thing that obviously always drives information security is, is the bad guys and what the bad guys are doing. So I think you do need to, um, you know, we're in an environment where, if, you know, um, if, if it started out with, you know, kind of glory hackers, you know, young, young mostly men who are just looking for recognition and, and props to, you know, pull off stunts. Um, obviously, that, those days are long gone. 
We now live in an environment where cybercrime is a multi-billion dollar international business, um, where you have many nation states, not just the United States and, and China uh, or Russia, who are engaged in uh, state-sponsored hacking activities and who are looking for leverage and advantage, whether that's for you know uh, their own um, military, whether it's for domestic corporations. So those are um, th- those those problems are out there as well, and they're going to continue driving um, uh, threats and attacks and 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 conversely you know, protections. Um, so I, I would really look I would really look to you know look around you and just sort of consider how the people around you are consuming technology. You know what types of um, uh, things it's enabling them to do, and and that's probably going to be a good reflection of what's big um, or what's going to be big in the information security space. Um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, great thoughts. It's it's been. Uh, a pleasure chatting with you today, Paul, and um, sharing your knowledge has been fantastic. I've, I've learned so much. Where can people find out more about you and Security Ledger? They can come to securityledger.com, which is uh, my website, and uh, learn about me there. And they should also check out securityofthings.com, which is a security and IoT event uh, that I'm going to be hosting in uh, June here in Boston, and uh, it's a whole day just focused on exploring the intersection of security and Internet of Things. Great. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It was great to be here. Yeah, definitely. Paul Roberts with securityledger.com, and check out securityofthings.com. Great. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s and the dot-com boom in the 1990s from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse. 
such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.